She was named one of the top 50 leadership innovators by Inc. and one of the most creative people in business by Fast Company. She has appeared on 60 Minutes and PBS NewsHour and is frequently quoted by the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, USA Today, and the Associated Press. She's the New York Times bestselling author of six books, including Open Leadership, Groundswell, and her newest release, The Disruption Mindset, Why Some Businesses Transform While Others Fail. She founded and ran Altimeter Group, a disruptive industry analyst firm that was acquired by Profit in 2015, where she continues today as a senior fellow. She is a former vice president and principal analyst at Forrester Research, worked in online newspaper publishing, and was a consultant with Monitor Group. Join me on this episode of the Curvebenders podcast with a respected advisor to Fortune 500 companies on digital transformation and leadership, Charlene Lee. Hi there, this is David Knorr, host of the Curvebenders podcast. I'm excited to share insights with you at the intersection of the future of work and strategic relationships. Make no mistake about it, there are a number of forces in the next two decades that will dramatically change the way we live, the way we work, the way we play, and the way we serve others. And I believe there are these relationships that will come into our lives that can change both the direction and destination of where we're headed. Those are the individuals I call curvebenders. So in each episode, I want to share with you insights from our research, from our interviews of great guests and their incredible experiences. I want to invite people to share their ideas and examples of not just coaches and mentors, but real curvebenders that have had a profound impact on their lives. Specifically, we're going to talk about pragmatic ideas in the evolution of your skills, your knowledge, and your behaviors. So let's get started. Did you know that the Curvebenders podcast is supplemented by my Forbes leadership column on the future of work? Here are just some of the recent articles that you may find of interest and value. Three ways to create a clear and understandable strategy. Flex your brain to embrace those who think differently than you do. The course that nearly every college and company is missing and fear is not a strategy. Learn more at Forbes.com slash sites slash David Knorr, or simply Google David Knorr on Forbes. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Curvebenders podcast. I'm delighted you're here. Uh, I got This is one of those awe-inspiring moments because someone that I've been admiring from a distance for some time has become a recent acquaintance and a friend, and I couldn't be more excited to have uh, our guest today. Uh, she is, if you don't have, if you've been living in a cave, you may have not heard of my guest, but if you've done anything around social media and really the evolution of technology, specifically how it impacts enterprises, Charlene Lee is not going to be a stranger to you. Charlene, welcome to the Curvebenders podcast. I'm so glad to be here. For those who may not know as much about you, can you just kind of share where you've been, what you've done, how you've gotten here? 
Yes, I've been a longtime analyst, and I was at Forrester for 10 years before starting my own firm, Altimeter. And in 2008, I started writing books, starting with Groundswell. And I just published my sixth one, The Disruption Mindset. I love it. And there's open leadership. There's the engaged leader. And we're going to talk a lot today about your most recent one, The Disruption Mindset. I'm looking forward to it. So question of you is what, again, uh, people ask me often as well about writing what motivates you to write? You and I are not writing Harry Potter, right? We're never going to get wealthy writing books. So what gets you excited about capturing your ideas and writing books? Um, I, I think, again, people love new ideas. And one of the best ways for them to pick up new ideas and ways of thinking is through books. And so it's a format that I have gravitated to. It's because it allows me to tell deep stories that bring an idea to life. Uh, news articles, reports, tweets, you know, the, those things get a quick point across. But if you want to dig down deeper into something, there's there's that book. And I felt like there was something to be said about disruption and that we were looking at disruption backwards. So I thought I'd write a book about it. That's fantastic. And uh, from your background at Forrester, from the work you've done at Altimeter, can you talk about the evolution of the enterprise and how enterprise uh, leaders see social, embrace social. Talk about some of the key trends you've seen in recent years. Well, I think just even going back a decade, people thought social was a joke. They didn't take it seriously. They were hoping that it would be a fad and that it would go away. And I think the persistence and evolution of social has gotten to the point where companies realize I have to listen to my customers. I I can't ignore them because they're going to be right there. And in the past, if they thought they could get away with less than stellar experiences from their for their customers, they're not grossly, they're very mistaken. And they also know that everything has to be just right. The also, the other big change is the way that we think about enterprises. Uh, in the past, employees were just there. They were a cog in the wheel. But employees have a voice too. They're out there talking about things. And, and I think there's a stronger sense now that we have to have a better relationship, not just look for engagement or create a great experience, but have a different relationship with the people in our organizations. I love it. I think I read a Fast Company article where you were interviewed and you were talked about, you know, leaders have to listen much more strategically. They have to, uh, you know, share information. Days of holding information back as a weapon are things long gone. And then I love that. You talked about finding genuine ways, authentic ways to engage people both inside and outside the organization. It's um, it's called being human. <laughs> so I think it's uh, it's it's kind of a breath of fresh air for a lot of people to say, oh, I don't have to put on this act anymore. But it's a hard habit to break. We've been told our entire careers, do not share. It's dangerous. And now you want me to share everything? Well, that, that feels dangerous too as well. So how do we actually do this and figure out a new normal? In, uh, and we'll get to, again, we'll get, in, uh, we'll get to the disruption mindset in a second. But in the engaged leader, you talked about uh, leaders and boards who are candidly struggling with going digital and really digitally transforming their organizations. Talk about that struggle for a second. And what have you found to be a really productive approach to uh, staying relevant for these enterprises? Right. So for many of them, the way they communicate has always been in very small, specific tranches, like a quarterly report. That's the only time they really talk to the public. 
The rest of it's behind closed doors. And, and the reality is people want to know more about what is on the minds of our executives. What do you think we're doing? How do you think we're moving into the space? Uh, and what should I be doing thinking about? And so it's a great opportunity if you could have this megaphone to talk all the time. Uh, but you've been told to have everything perfect lined up for a, a, a previous time of, of communication. And so people are having to learn to communicate in a completely new and different way that they're not comfortable with. So they think this is digital, it's about the technology, but it's not. It's learning about how to actually think and speak and behave in a different way. So I asked them a one simple thing. What are the top three things you care about? And they say, these are the top three things. And I go, just talk about that. Don't even write it. Just talk about it. But record yourself, transcribe it, and then massage your words into posts, into tweets, into blog posts, and back into podcasts. Because those are the things you care about. Those are the things where you want to have a sustained conversation about. Uh, if you are uh, just joining us, Charlene Lee is our Curve Menders podcast guest, and, and I'm specifically referring to uh, uh, one of her previous books, The Engaged Leader. Charlene, I love the uh, four development stages, right? Denial, bargaining, acceptance, and then finally transformation. You also talked about the top challenges facing digital transformation, right? So we've been talking about changing the company culture, uh, thinking beyond the campaign mentality. Talk about a couple of the other ones, um, you know, cooperation between departments and team silos. Uh, you're still seeing resources being a, a challenge and then understanding behaviors that impact kind of new connected. You talked about customers. Yes. So I think one of the most unfortunate things about modern enterprise is that we have silos. They're great if you're trying to get things done because everything can be focused on a particular process and repeatable and perfected. But it means that opportunities to cross-fertilize, to actually share what a customer is doing in one channel versus another or a different department is, is a lot harder. It's not the natural thing to do. So I recommend that companies think about building windows between those silos, not breaking down, but windows where you can pass this information and data about customers seamlessly between those organizations. And that happens only when you have a really clear idea and understanding about the shared characteristics of this wonderful customer that you have. It's surprising how few companies actually have a good, strong understanding of who their customers are. It is so critical for the leadership team, I think, to get unfiltered insights into those customers and, and not just what they need today, but really try to understand how to anticipate what they're going to need moving forward. Right. I mean, customers' expectations today are not being set by you. It's being set by Amazon, by Uber. So their expectations of what they're going to get from you are much, much higher than what most organizations provide. And I think being able to listen to them, and they're constantly out there on digital and social, telling you what they're thinking, what they're feeling, how they're, uh, what they're doing and saying. So it's a great opportunity to listen to them. I think of social as the, the conscious of an organization. It's a way that customers are holding the companies they're working with accountable to the promises. You say you're going to do this, but you did something completely different. I'm going to let you know, and you better be listening. And what, a, what a fantastic real-time tool to or a platform to really align the brand promise, right? Here's all the great things we'll do for you. With the brand equity of, of in that, is that in fact what happens in the field? So go ahead. No, this is one other thought I had about real time 
in order to be servicing somebody in real time, you have to actually think faster than real time. You have to think ahead of them, anticipate where they're going to go and have the options laid out and see if this is the place you want to go. Do you want to go to a different destination and be engaged in a conversation with them about this? It's amazing that I often talk about, you know, great relationships come from great conversations. Those conversations come from great questions. And for some reason, we tend to lose that sense of conversation online. A local health organization that will go unnamed, we literally take my daughter to the emergency room and it's less than a positive experience. Charlene, I kid you not, they respond to my tweet two weeks later. <laughs> and you're like, really? Um, two, not, not two hours, not two days, two weeks later is when they respond to the tweet. Yeah, that's not helpful, right? And, and our expectations is, you know, it's an emergency room. Can you solve my problems when I'm on site? Can you help me address that? So you really, truly listen and care about what my experience is. Clearly. So let's switch gears and talk about your most recent book, The, the Disruption Mindset. And, and you talk about why some organizations transform while others fail. Can you give our listeners a synopsis of what you came up with? What, why do some are able to uh, consistently reinvent themselves and stay ahead and be relevant while others unfortunately become seers or become so many brands that have gone by the wayside? Yeah, it was a, it was a really interesting question. And that, again, to your point, curiosity led to a lot of research and then this book. What I found is that they just think, work, lead, have a culture that's really different than us. They have a strategy that's different. Their leadership acts in a different way. They have a different mindset in the way they approach everything. And so the, the most distinguished one was the way they set their strategy. They focus on one thing and one thing really, really well. And that is they focus on the future customer and what those future customer needs are. And because they're wholly focused on that, they, they are able to make the sacrifices, the investments, the hard decisions today to go after that future customer. Because otherwise, you would never do this. Why would you throw yourself into a huge amount of turmoil and disruption unless the goal was worth it? So that does that become a rallying cry for the organization of, listen, our future customers are going to have these attributes. And if we don't focus on those now, we're not going to remain relevant? I think it's a more positive one. These customers have these attributes. And man, let's go for them. They, they have so much opportunity there. We have, they have such a strong need and we can be the ones that meet those needs. Why not us? So talk about the big gulp moment. How do you, what is it and how do you prepare for it? Okay. The big gulp moment is when you look around the table and go, uh, we got to make this really big decision. We're going to bet the company on it. We're going to bet our careers on this. Ready, set, take a big gulp, and then you jump. And the only way to get there is by having, again, that really strong focus of really strong understanding of what you're fighting for, that this is going to be worth it, that it's worth the risk. And that requires a lot of homework, a lot of staring at each other, going, are we ready for this? How do we get ready for it? A lot of preparation. It does not happen overnight. It's not something that you could just snap your fingers and say, okay, let's just go do something very different. And unless you tell me otherwise, the short-term mindset of quarterly results doesn't lend itself really well to disrupting the current business either. It doesn't. And yet I think it's a big crutch that executives say, well, I can't do this because I've got quarterly results. 
I can't think of a single board that would say to uh, an executive, if you can get me better returns in the future by having some short-term pain, tell me about it. Have the courage of your convictions to come to us and say, I want to do this. One of the attributes that you and I have seen in leadership teams and organizations that continue to evolve and remain relevant is really their talent bench. So one of the chapters that I was really intrigued by that you talk about is developing disruptive leaders. What did you find in common traits of great senior executives that that early and often identify and really develop those disruptive leaders? Yes. Um, I think some of the most common traits, the two of disruptive leaders, the first is you have a strong openness to change mindset, meaning that you see change as a positive thing. You're optimistic about it. You don't think of change as a bad thing that's going to just be disastrously bad. And then the other thing is you have really strong leadership behaviors, especially in the area of empowering and inspiring others to take action. Because when you're talking about disruption, you can't do it by yourself. You've got to get other people to step up into leadership roles too as well. So the combination of those two things are what make a disruptive leader. They're the most common factors that drive disruptive leadership and and behaviors. Organizations that have a strong sense of agency, of communication, of, of, of reinforcing those two areas, both of them, are the ones who are consistently developing a strong bench of people who can step up into the void and say, yeah, I can, I can be that change. I can spearhead that and I can get people to come along with me. The other really key topic that stood out to me was the flux culture operating system. I love that. Talk about, and, and the whole, you know, how do you learn to live and and work productively in this constant state of flux. Yeah. And this is the most fascinating thing. The people who work at disruptive organizations, just they have their act together. They It's not chaotic. In fact, it's incredibly well run, very ordered and very disciplined. And what I found is that they have something about their cultures that allow them to live in flux. And there, there are some fundamental beliefs because culture is just made up of beliefs and behaviors that come out of them. And, and the beliefs of disruptive organizations are they have tremendous openness, transparency, um, speed of information flowing through the organization, and also of how decisions are made. It's a lot of openness inside these organizations. They have strong agency. People believe that they can make a difference and they will be accountable for the for their actions too as well, the wins and also the failures. And the third is that they have a strong bias for action. They can't stand to stay still. They, As soon as they have the minimally viable data to make a decision, they go. And the Flux operating system says it's not enough just to have those beliefs. You have to cement them into your culture with the operating system, looking at the way that you structure your organization, embedding those beliefs into your processes. And very importantly, Having lore, the stories, the rituals, the symbols you have inside an organization, having your lore be really strong to support those beliefs. If you just joined us, Charlene Lee is the author of several books, uh, The Engaged Leader, boy, a lot of great backgrounds in open leadership and groundswell, and most recently, uh, The Disruptive uh, the disruption mindset. Um, Charlene, uh, as we've been talking about this idea of curve benders, uh, r- are there relationships that come into our lives 
and dramatically change both our direction and ultimate destination. Can you talk about some of the individuals uh, that have come into your life and you're not just maybe incrementally better because of them, but you feel like they've dramatically changed the direction and destination of not just where you are today, but where you headed? Yeah, I had a uh, professor in business school. I, I um, had started business school thinking that I was going to go back into um, public service and government. I was going to do a degree at the Kennedy School of Government too as well. And he said, I had enough of school. So what do I do with my life? So I'm sitting there not really knowing. And I took a class on career management to help me figure out what I would do with my career. And he gave me the best advice. He goes, don't try to figure out what's going on in your career. Figure out what's happening in the next 18 months. Because in 18 months, you'll take six to learn your job, six to master it, and six to say, well, what else can I really be doing now? So you get about 18 months in a job before you start really wanting to do something different. So that made me look at what the world was changing, what was happening in it. And I saw this thing called the internet, decided to explore it, decided to go into content and then newspapers and ended up at the San Jose Mercury News in the middle of Silicon Valley in 1993. And I had this amazing front row seat to the internet being born and was right in the middle of that, of that. So just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Um, and, and, and really, if I had been in consulting or doing some other kind of job, I've never had seen this. I would never have uh, seen the opportunity that the internet was going to create. So that was, that was one, obviously, very big <laughs> change that happened. And the, the second curve bender was a book I read in about 2007 called The Four-Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. And I was working on my book. I was looking at my career at Forrester and realizing I had taken everything I could out of here. And maybe I could live a different type of life of creating a huge amount of value and doing things the way I wanted to. Again, back then, you know, mobile phones weren't really that big of a deal. Remote working didn't exist. So I was starting to craft out and it was given permission in a way to think about structuring my career, my life, my family in a completely different way. And it just gave me such freedom to imagine a very, very different life. Uh, that's fascinating. So you're telling us that if it wasn't for this uh, professor in business school, you could have been in government or you could have done a whole lot of uh, different paths? <laughs> yeah. I, again, this, this class really made me sit back take the time. I was so geeky. I mapped out the entire internet ecosystem of hardware, software, communications, and pipes, and then content, and interviewed deeply in all of those sectors, figured out which one I wanted to <laughs> focus on, then interviewed only in content across many different channels, figured out newspapers would be the ones to be influenced first, and focus my job search on that. So kind of crazy, but yeah, having the time and the space to really think deeply about what was it that I was interested at that particular time? And to have that focus was a tremendous gift. And I love the San Jose Mercury News uh, experience. What, you know, what a fabulous epicenter of just seeing everything develop around you at such an incredible pace that would you agree had a, had a profound impact on you and how you see organizations that set themselves apart from their competitive peers? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of my first experiences when I got there was to go to Stanford and hang out with Jerry A, who was a student there before he started Yahoo. You know, I, my friends were working at Netscape, helping start that up. 
we were creating online classifieds. I was training a sales force on a group creating internet advertising banners, figure out how to sell them, having conversations for the first time with real paying customers to say, how do we actually build a business out of this? So when, when you're exposed to that and um, all the technical challenges of publishing without style sheets, it's a total pain in the butt to do that, to write straight HTML without cascading style sheets. That kind of experience puts you in a, in a, a place where you, you, we were actually seeing an industry being born. So that, that's pretty fun. And I love all the stories from uh, Napster to, I mean, some of these names we haven't talked about. We haven't heard Night Ritter, right? Blockbuster. We just haven't talked about some of these organizations in a while. And it's amazing how fast they come and go if, if uh, again, if they're not really driving uh, the disruption mindset as you talk. One of the questions I often, I'm often asked when I tell people that this idea of curve benders are, are relationships in our future of work and relationships in the way we live, work, play, and give in the future is – they keep asking, not just who are they, where are they, how do I find them, but I'm always intrigued by people who ask, how do I become one? And think, you, you speak globally, you write extensively, you coach, you advise others. What have you found? What have you found to be really impactful in the way you change, or you feel like you change other people's lives? So, how, what does it take? Do you believe? to become a curve bender for others? Well, there's ways that you can do it with your words, um, again, at scale. And I'm constantly amazed by people coming up to me. I'm so honored and humbled when they say, you know, your book, your writing, your work has changed my life. And I'm like, I'm, I'm just kind of blown away because I never expected that to happen. I just wanted people to think and look at the world in a different way. And the thing I hear over and over again is that the stories touched them. They could see themselves in the stories. The stories brought this to life so that they could understand it and live it. So I, I think the words that you use, when you're using words to help people really learn and see the world in a different way, you're becoming a curve bender. The other thing is when people come up to me and say, we have a conversation about these things, they say things like, you know, um, that, that speech was great. Really enjoyed hearing you talk about that. I'm like, thank you so much. And what was your takeaway from that? And I think curve bending is when you, again, have that time to do that synthesis and that integration of what you learn and how you're going to act on it. So that simple question, how you, what's your takeaway, says, I'm listening. I'm curious. I want to see where you are on your journey right now and help you go further and faster on that journey. So I think helping people see themselves by trying to see them is a key part of being a curve bender. I love it. Uh, two quick ideas come to mind. Uh, Einstein was once asked about all of his work, and he said, I don't really have any particularly, uh, and, and the humility of the man, but uh, I don't have any particular skills. I'm just passionately curious. So A, that curiosity. B, I'm often talking to executives that we don't make enough time to think. And, and you brought up synthesizing. I think that is so critical in not just what, you know, Noor or Charlene, you know, writing, what does it mean? What does it mean to me? And how do we take some of those ideas and implement them in our, in our daily lives, in our world? So uh, for our audience who wants to know more about you and your work and how, where do they go? How do they find out more about you, read about you, give us some uh, next steps to kind of learn what, uh, 
what you're up to. Yeah, you can follow me on my website, charlinglee.com. Pretty easy to find me. It's my name. Um, and also, I'm on all the various usual social media channels uh, with my name, again, Charlene Lee. So hope to see you and engage with you there. My final question of you is uh, extrapolate for us 18 months, 36 months from now. What is Charlene up to? What is she working on big? I am hopefully creating a new network called Quantum Networks that is going to connect the world's disruptors and support them and develop them to become the biggest and best disruptive leaders possible. So, yeah, I'm starting this new adventure. And, um, Curious to see where it goes. Love it. Sounds incredibly exciting. For our audience, you've been listening to the Curve Benders podcast with my guest this week, Charlene Lee, decorated, celebrated author of some fantastic books. Uh, she's a speaker. She coaches and works with executives and really helping them think about transforming uh, their organizations, their teams, and really embracing exactly the title of her most recent book, which is That Disruption Mindset. Charlene, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. If you've listened to the Curvebenders podcast recently, you've heard that I'm working on the Curvebenders book. This will be my book number 11 with tools, insights, case studies, examples, interviews, in essence, the knowledge you need to create a personal and professional growth roadmap in this idea of future of work. I'm excited to share key sections with the first 100 participants, so go reserve your spot at norgroup.com today. If you go all the way to the bottom of the page in the get in touch section, just capture somewhere Curve Bender Insights. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Curve Benders podcast on the disruption mindset with my friend Charlene Lee. There's a reason Charlene is a best-selling author and a respected advisor. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Disruption Mindset book and really dive into the chapters like Charlene's successful disruptive strategies, her references uh, both in this podcast and the book to the big gulp moment, leading a disruptive movement, developing disruptive leaders, disrupting your culture, and probably my favorite, the Flux Culture operating system, including great case studies from Microsoft pushing the restart button, ING's The Orange Code, and how meetings work at Google. Lastly, don't forget, I turned the show notes from previous podcasts into more in-depth articles, so check them out on our website, norgroup.com slash blog. I'm so thankful for our listeners on the Curvebenders podcast. I want to keep producing great content most beneficial to your personal and professional growth in this idea of future of work. So I'd love to hear your feedback. Don't forget to follow us on the various social media channels. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. And I'm using the hashtag Curvebenders podcast. So make sure you follow that for all of our latest updates. 